Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. And you're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast. I'm John Siegley, speaking today with EJ Wilson and Mike Ingersoll. What we're going to be doing on this one is, first off, recapping our overall thoughts of the Duke game and then looking ahead to Georgia Tech. We've got kind of a unique opportunity here with the two former players who have gone through the Georgia Tech games, gone through the Georgia Tech practice weeks. So I'm looking forward to what you guys have to say on that. EJ, starting with you, buddy. You know, the last podcast, one of the main takeaways that you said is you wanted to see the team show some fight in this game. And even if they lost, that they went down swinging. So do you think that the team accomplished that? I think they definitely accomplished that and then some. I was very impressed with what I saw from them defensively. They they play with a lot more energy. And I think if they bring that energy every game like they did against Duke, I think that 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 just increases their potential. I mean, I saw pass rush. I saw blitzes getting home. I just saw people tackling. I saw people making plays in the secondary. MJ Stewart just proved why he's one of the best corners, the best defensive players in the country, I think. So I was definitely impressed by what I saw. They played a tough physical game up until the very end. Did you notice anything, like, really schematically different, though, or is this just more on the players? I think it's more on – they just they – just, they, they, I'm not going to go – I'm not saying that they didn't want it before, but you, it's always an extra edge when you play against Duke. So I just feel like that they knew that they were down a few guys. They knew that they had lost some very important and key players to their defense. What I was talking about last time, I think they did say that, hey, we got to pick up the slack here. We got to take we got to take this upon ourselves to make the defense better. And you saw the people that we have in our defense, and it speaks about what we were talking about recruiting too. Like those same guys that were out there rushing the passer, making plays, being physical, are the same guys that played in the previous game. Is just that they play with a different attitude, and that's what I really saw. So I'm very, very, very impressed with it. I thought that was a big positive as well. It's just that the defense showed up, and you know, for Duke that supposedly had the statistically better offense, the mm-hmm. defense definitely gave the team an opportunity to win. And then switching over to the offense, it was kind of up and down day. But Mike, what did you see from the offense that that you thought was a positive from the Duke game? Well, pass protection was solid across the board, which was highly encouraging considering we had a hodgepodge offensive line. You know, at this point we're, you know, we're, we're kind of just rolling guys out there and hoping they can play and hoping they, you know, they understand enough of the playbook to be successful during the game. And what I saw was a pretty steady understanding of our pass protection schemes and our run blocking schemes. Now we weren't that successful in the run for a number of reasons. I mean, what comes with experience on the offensive line is just a better understanding and a better execution of your assignments in the run game. But the hardest thing to do for an offensive lineman is pass protection, hands down. And I thought for the number of times that we asked those guys to to get back in their pass sets and to protect Surratt, that they did that and they did it pretty effectively for the most part. There were a few hiccups here and there, but 
you know, considering we had so many guys hurt and we're, we're out there with, with guys playing out of position and some guys playing that we didn't expect that we're ever going to have to play this season, highly encouraging. So from an offensive line standpoint, there was that one, one takeaway that, you know, it's just, it's just a growing pain. It's a negative at the quarterback position. And Jason Staples is significantly more apt at discussing this than I am, but just, you know, from being a player and what I understand about the position, Chaz's decision-making is going to have to get a little bit better, but I also, I take that with a grain of salt, right? Or I guess I say that with a grain of salt. He's a young quarterback and he's, he'll get better as he gets reps. You know, he came out, he was like a flash in the pan against, against Cal and he looked better by comparison than Brandon Harris. He looked pretty good against Louisville. I thought Brandon Harris actually played a better game and I was surprised that during the Duke game, we didn't, or during the ODU game, we didn't see him come out uh, or come off the sideline at all and play. I, I was, I was very surprised by that. I thought it was a little unfair to Brandon based on his performance against Louisville, but they've shown that they're going to push for continuity and they're going to go with Chaz. You know, so now Chaz knows that it's his job, and the next step for him after winning the job is consistency, and that only comes with game reps. It only comes with seeing different looks. You know, we got to understand too that every single defense he sees every week is new to him. Every pass rush he sees, every pass rusher he sees is different to him. Every blitz package, everything. So, you know, that, that was a negative from the Duke game, but it was also his first conference action. He did a lot of good things. You know, if we can get him to stop trying to long snap the ball over his head from the pocket, that in and of itself will be an improvement. But I saw much, much more good than bad in this game. Despite the loss, saw a lot of things that I was hoping that they'd get right during this game or at least improve upon from previous weeks, and they did that. I was going to ask you, Mike, did you ever have a red shirt freshman? I, I forgot what year TJ, what year he was, TJ Yates. He was my he, class. When did he actually become a starter? As a red shirt freshman, 2007. It was a red shirt freshman. Okay. It was. Talk briefly about, you know, one thing that you think the offensive line, like anything's different when you know that you have someone back there that's taking snaps for the first time kind of under fire. Well, you know, you just, you got to give them more time. But what's unique about this is this offensive situation is that, you know, we've got Bentley Spain, who's got experience, and he was out there. And we've got Cam Dillard, who's got experience, albeit at a different school and a different program and a different conference. He's out there. We've got RJ Prince, who obviously started all year last year, and he's got a ton of experience, and he's playing a lot better. So he's out there. But we are also moving some of those guys around, and we've got players at, you know, that come in and play both guard spots, both tackle spots that are new also so what a veteran offensive line would understand is that they need to give him as much time as humanly possible because he's brand new but these younger guys are learning right along with him and these inexperienced guys are learning right along with him so it's an interesting dynamic we have going on offensively right now between the quarterback and his offensive line because for the most part they're all seeing this stuff for the first time and from a veteran offensive lineman standpoint, so we're talking about Bentley, RJ, Cam Dillard, you know, this is their first time playing with Chaz. It's also their first time playing with Brandon Harris, assuming we see him again this year, which I'm sure we will. It's their first time playing with him also. I mean, practice just doesn't mimic what a guy's going to do in a game when there's live bullets flying. So everybody right now is learning together. So the little successes that I see here and there, the little victories I see here and there, even if the ultimate result for the game is a loss, any little victories that I see throughout the game on individual plays or in, in individual matchups, all of that is positive and highly encouraging considering the broad picture of what we're dealing with right now, which is a group of guys that are all learning together at the same time. 
talk about the small victories. I know that Duke, they had a pretty good game running the ball statistically if you go by by the stat sheet. But ultimate scoreline, I mean, really, Carolina's defense only allowed 20 points. The final touchdown was that pick six. Well, what I'll tell you, John, what I'll tell you, John, about our defense, too, and EJ might agree with me, is one thing I saw from our defense was an expanded blitz package. Right. And we ran. I talked about some of this on we had an Ask Mike segment with JB that got posted either it was either today or yesterday, but it's up. And I broke down a couple of blitzes and one of them was a pretty hairy look. We ran an amoeba front. EJ knows what I'm talking about. I I talked about it in the in the video segment, but it's a it's the Dick LeBeau Pittsburgh Steelers amoeba front. We had three defensive linemen down in a normal 4-3 front, so a normal four-man line, and then we had Malik Carney walking around, which is what NC State under Tom O'Brien used to do with Willie Young. And we walked him around, walked him around, and then shot Malik in the A-gap and basically treated it sort of like a Mike Sam A-B blitz, right? So it wasn't a cross dog. They didn't cross. They just both hit the A-gap and the B-gap. And then we we had a what on offense we call a frog loop from the – from uh, Strobridge, 55 defensive end, where he looped all the way around to the opposite A-gap of the center. Well, because of what we had going to the center's right, right, so defensive our left, we had an A-gap rusher, a B-gap rusher, and a C-gap rusher because we actually walked up our outside linebacker. I think it was, it might have been Case and Collins, walked him up on the outside and also brought him. We turned what is just a normal six-man look, right? So just a six-man rush against a six-man protection, which should get picked up guy for guy, no problem at all. We were able to turn that into absolute confusion on the part of Duke's offensive linemen, particularly their center, right? And what Strobridge did that was high, really impressive to me was how tight he turned the corner around that center's backside shoulder, right, when the center took his eyes off of the looper because he had to take that A-gap rusher, which was Malik Carney. Strobridge blitzed tight, or I guess he twisted tight to the center's shoulder, and we ended up getting a sack on the play. It was a huge play. It was a hairy look, right? But really, when you break it down, it was a very simple blitz that Carolina executed very well. And we did that stuff all day very well, especially considering we were running man behind it, right? And in man defense, for fans to really understand, you always have to show your blitz because you've got one guy leaving. You've got to have another guy take his responsibility. If you're going to have a blitzer, you've got to have somebody fill the gap, right? Whereas zone, you can disguise things a little bit better. Right. But in man defense, I mean, you got to show the blitz right now. And we were under those circumstances having to show what we were doing. We were still beating them up front. And it was that from a defensive standpoint was highly encouraging. The expanded blitz package and the complexity of some of the blitzes that we were running the fronts that we were giving them. I mean, we even ran we even ran a blitz out of a out of an odd front, which is just your head up, your head up nose, your zero technique on the center and head up on the two tackles, either four techniques or fives. Um, we ran it. We ran a. We ran a rat blitz out of that, which I, I can explain more on the message boards when we get into it. But that's a that's a complex blitz out of a different front than what we run out of our base package. So I saw some. I saw some really complex things that our defense ran that I was very encouraged they were able to execute as well as they did. Looked a whole lot different from the previous couple of weeks. What do you have to say about that, EJ? I, I definitely think so. I definitely think, uh, and they ran a lot of packages that we ran uh, at Carolina more when I was there. So. A lot of the times, especially when we play Notre Dame, teams that, that have a very good passing game, and we we, we kind of want to get right into the quarterback's face. So those those uh, blitzes are really they're, – they're really good, especially when you have the athletes to really fill that out and really have those positions rushing the quarterback. 
from those angles, I mean, you're going to have nothing but success. But I really, for me, I know Mike can break it down a lot better because as offensive linemen, they really study the film. For me, more so as a defensive lineman, it, it, it's more so about what are you going to do no matter what, whether you're stunning, whether you're running that long loop, how, how intense are you in going to get there? And, and that's what really impressed me more so. So I didn't really notice, per se, more of the different packages. What I really noticed and was impressed with was just the overall the overall effort and skill and some of the pass rush abilities, I didn't know some of those guys had. What impressed me was how Carolina was able to hold up Duke in the red zone. A lot yeah. of times Duke had to resort to field goals. What did you see kind of as the field shrunk, EJ? What did you see from the defense where when their backs were up against the wall and they were able to respond? I, I saw a team that was very resilient. I don't think that they were running anything really different than what they had been all year. I just think that you got guys in there that really had more experience and more playing time, and they were just way more efficient. I think that they really took their time, they read their keys, and they played a very disciplined game because, I mean, in the red zone, that's what it's all about. It's about discipline. It's about reading your keys. I mean, because you only – the field gets a lot shorter, but it also gets a lot wider, so there are a lot of different packages that you really see from teams, and I think that we were really prepared for that, and it uh, showed up. And obviously the, the loss of Tyler Powell kind of hurts because of how versatile he is, but I still thought it was a big-time positive that you had guys that we haven't you know heard too much over the season, but they just turned in just solid workmanlike performances. It came through when they really needed to. Oh, yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, I, I saw some numbers popping up of guys that I hadn't really seen all season, and that's really encouraging because, I mean, you're only as good as the guy behind you because, I mean, every, like you're going to have injuries through the course of a season. You're going to have people that are going to get tired, and you're, and you're going to have, have those guys in there in important situations. And I think that a lot of the guys really showed up. I think it was really defense by committee Saturday really being led by MJ Stewart. So, I mean, it's really encouraging. I really see our defense taking this game. Uh, not, not necessarily, yeah, it was a loss, but you played, I think, one of the most inspired and the best games that they played all season, and I'm really excited to see them build from this uh, like I know they will. We are going to take just a quick break here, and when we get back, we'll go ahead and shift the conversation over to Georgia Tech. And welcome back. This is the Inside Carolina Podcast. John, still talking over here with EJ and Mike, and we're going to be shifting the talk over to Georgia Tech. And for Carolina fans, especially those who have been following the team since Paul Johnson took over. You know, nothing really needs to be said that hasn't already been said about that triple option offense. But I really wanted to use the opportunity here to have you guys as former players. I mean, analysts can sit back all day and talk about gap accountability, but you guys have actually been through it. So let's go ahead and EJ, I know we've kind of been having you talk a lot here lately. I know Mike is probably sitting over in the corner just waiting. <laughs> I, I talk too much as it is. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but walk us through, EJ, kind of how it was as a defensive player getting ready for that blocking scheme that Georgia Tech employs. It was a very different experience. We started getting ready for Georgia Tech in training camp. And that was very odd because, I mean, Coach Davis was all – he was really big on just making sure we focused on us and making us the best team we can right now. Let's not focus on the opponent. But what Paul Johnson brought to Georgia Tech, his system, it was so efficient, and he had it down to such a science that, I mean, you, you'd be a fool not to start preparing for that early. And, I mean, it was just a completely, completely different week of preparation. The first day we practiced, uh, we didn't even use a football because it was so important to read your keys. Like, most people get beat by this offense is because they're watching the ball. 
we had assignments. We had our defensive tackle. Um, it, it depended on how you were, we were lining in the 4-3. The three technique was to our side. We had the quarterback. Our job was to keep that offensive lineman from going uphill and cutting the linebacker or the safety whoever was playing behind me in that B-gap. So as a defensive end, my job was to try to jack that tackle up, keep him from getting to the next level, and I had to tackle the quarterback no matter what. If he had the ball or not, I had to tackle that quarterback. There was no going to find the ball. We were at a point where we were using uh, we were using dummies, and some of the coaches were doing it, that if you didn't tackle your assignment and you were fall chasing the ball, which was kind of odd for us to hear from a coach who preached that, that, I mean, there was a penalty. There was a penalty out of practice because – we needed to be as disciplined as we could. As far as the defensive tackles, they really had it the worst. Like some of the stuff that that Georgia Tech's offensive line is allowed to do in this scheme is just kind of it's kind of crazy. And I know a lot of the issues today are going towards player safety. And this is just one of the things that doesn't make any sense to me because okay, we all know cutting is a part of the game. It's a part of running an efficient run game. It's efficient. In the past game, too, uh, from an offensive line standpoint, and I know Mike. Yeah, but there's speak to that. there's five high lows every single play. Every single play, it, every single play, and not only if they they try to cut you, but once they if they don't succeed in that, they will crawl and try to tackle you. Before we uh, got on the podcast, I was watching some of the uh, film from back when we played, and it was just crazy like that they were allowed to do this. But at the end of the day, I mean, it is what it is. You just got to go out there and you got to read your keys. Like this has to be the most disciplined game that these guys have ever played, and I, I can say for a fact that. I tried to force myself with these games to make sure I, re- I read my keys because not only was it important for us to, to make the plays that we were supposed to make, but we needed to keep our linebackers clean and also healthy because some of the cuts and some of the angles that they had on our linebackers, I mean, it was just a recipe for disaster. So it was it, it was really preached and emphasis, emphasized that we need to take our responsibilities. And there was also a lot of work done as far as cutting, uh, cut work. So it's just, it's a different beast altogether. I mean, and, and some of the analysts are right. Yeah, you do have to be disciplined. You do have to read your keys. But at the end of the day, you have to, you, you have to want to be that disciplined. So it's just, it's a whole, it's a whole different experience. It's like being in the twilight zone, completely different from the season because we didn't work past rush. We didn't do any of that stuff for every day that we practiced during the week. We worked on the same thing every single day. And it was just, it's a different experience. I'll say that. <laughs> I'll tell you, one of the things that makes me, one of the things that ticks me off the most in this world, there's a lot of things that tick me off because I'm generally a pretty angry person. You don't say it. It is when I, yeah, true. When I see a Georgia Tech offensive lineman make the all-conference team, whether it's first, second, third, or honorable mention, that is absolutely preposterous to me. They don't block anybody. They don't pass set. They don't fire off and run block a soul. How in the world are you grading an offensive lineman at an all-conference level when he doesn't block anybody and your only job on the O-line is to block people? (laughs) But that's me off my soapbox. And you, I mean, you make a good point. I mean, they have had some decent offensive linemen in Georgia Tech past, but what they're doing isn't really offensive line play. I mean, yeah, it's efficient for the system, but at the end of the day, why would you sign up to go to Georgia Tech if you have any aspirations to play in the future? Because I just don't see that style of football that doesn't transition well when you're pretty much taking four, and if you redshirt, sometimes five years off from really practicing the skills that you need to succeed on the next level. Yeah, that's a good point there, EJ. I mean, I've kind of wondered myself about, especially at the quarterback position, you know, what quarterback would want to go to to Georgia Tech? And that kind of leads me into 
the offensive side and Mike, what, if anything, did the Carolina offense, what, what did you guys kind of switch it up for Georgia Tech or was it kind of more the same for y'all? Well, for us, it wasn't that difficult to prepare for Georgia Tech. Most years, if you think back to 2007, John Tenuta was their defensive coordinator. He ended up going to NC State with Tom O'Brien for the, I think, uh, 08 through 2010 or maybe 09 and 2010. But uh, Tenuta ran a, a four-down four look, and then I believe it was 2000. Actually, you know, I, I misspoke. I, I, I think Tenuta was only at NC State for 2010. So in 2010, Georgia Tech switched over to a three-down look, and we didn't play a whole lot of teams outside of the University of Virginia that ran an odd front. So like I talked about before, your head up on the tackles and your head up on the center, three defensive end, or three defensive linemen look with your four linebackers. Not too many teams in college ran that. You're seeing more and more teams running it now because, well, in recruiting, it's just easier to find you know, a freak athlete that can pass rush than it is to find a true defensive end. So most teams are actually moving to that. The NFL on a, on a grand scale is moving to a three-down front as the primary base defense for most teams now too so when they switched over to their three down front it was it was a little little more difficult to to prepare for just because we didn't see it very much our technique obviously had to change you know playing tackle for me it's a different world when you've got a defensive end who's in a four-point stance lined up you know nose to nose with you he's not shaded on either shoulder so you know your footwork has to be tighter your pass set has to be tighter it's also easier to disguise blitzes out of that but you can still get tips out of that I mean a lot of time you know, a defensive end will always have his outside hand down in that front, at least the way Georgia Tech ran it, whenever they put their inside hand down or they cheat a little bit to your inside or if they squared their stance up, you knew that something, some blitz was coming from the outside. So there, there were little keys here and there, but they've got Ted Roof now, who used to be the, uh, the head coach at Duke. I mean, he's been Georgia Tech's defensive coordinator for, for a while now. And, and Ted Roof is a lot like John Tenuta in that they run – very complicated blitz packages. A lot of the stuff that we were taught that I was talking about earlier that we went over in the Ask Mike segment that I filmed with JB and some of those blitzes I was talking about earlier in this same podcast, Ted Roof and John Tenuta run very well. When we played Duke, when Ted Roof was a head coach, four down front and we'd get blitzed all the time. They blitz more times than they don't. I would expect to see that, especially with a young quarterback and a young offensive line, young running backs. I would expect very much to see that from Georgia Tech this weekend. A lot of blitzes. We also put some stuff on film and inability to pick up certain blitzes that will, uh, will show up again this week. They'll show up the week after until we show that we can stop it, which Coach Cap has done a really good job with these guys. You know, I, We can complain about the blocking and guys getting through and not getting rush yards and this, that, and the other all we want. The, the truth of the matter is that Coach Cap has done a really good job of preparing these younger guys offensive linemen to come in and perform and be ready to play. The backups were ready to play. They look like they prepared just like they were starters. And you can't ask more out of your depth chart than that. So these guys will be prepared to pick up the things that they didn't pick up so well last week and in previous weeks. And they'll put a stop to a lot of those blitzes they struggle with. There'll also be new stuff. Ted Roof, again, like John Tenuta, very complex blitz packages and a very good defensive coordinator, very experienced. He's, he's been around college football for forever. It seems like, and, uh, and he'll know, he'll know what to do. He'll know how to attack our weaknesses, which right now is our offensive line and quarterback. And they're only weaknesses because we have so many guys injured and so many new faces in there and so much inexperience. But again, I've said it before, the biggest improvement is between weeks one and two, then weeks two and three, 
and by week four, five, six, you know what you're working with. Well, we've taken a lot of leaps forward in a positive direction with the offensive line, with their understanding of our offensive scheme and with their ability to pick up blitzes and pick up fronts and just general technique things here and there. I'm seeing it getting better and better week in and week out. And we're very, we're very fortunate to have someone like Bentley Spain, another guy, Cam Dillard and RJ Prince, who have started so many games to bring along some of those guys that haven't played a whole lot. So I I would expect us to perform decently against Georgia Tech. They're going to get thrown some stuff they don't, they've never seen before. They're going to mess that up. It's going to happen. There's going to be a huge tackle for loss. We're going to give up a major sack. It's going to happen, but they're going to pick up more stuff than they let through. And if you're really paying attention, you're going to see that this weekend. I promise you, you'll see it. And that's, I'm maybe optimistic to a fault right now, but I'm seeing a lot more good than bad. I just, I'm having a hard time explaining the one and three record. We're not playing like a one and three team, especially not up front. So Look for some of that stuff. Look for Ted Roof and Georgia Tech to bring a lot of blitzes this weekend, especially because they're getting all jacked up. They've got some new uniform combo. You know, they've had a lot of success in Atlanta against us, even though I think we won the last two meetings down there after a 20-something year drought. The all-time record in Atlanta is Georgia Tech is heavily in, in favor of Georgia Tech heavily over Carolina. So look for them to be a little juiced up and to bring some stuff. But I, I think this weekend you're going to see a lot more, a lot more positive than negative. Yeah, I think as long as the team has something to build off of, that the record, I mean, the wins will eventually come. If you keep on making improvements, I know Carolina's 1-3 and three right now, obviously, but if you keep on making improvements, that's going to get turned around. One thing I wanted to just open up to both of you guys, and this will kind of be, we'll try to start wrapping this up, is what are your thoughts in general about the whole chop cut blocking thing? I mean, we talked about it just a little bit, but I mean, you guys, again, actually on the line, I mean, is it just an effective technique or is it something that, yeah, with the emphasis on player safety, like EJ said, is it something that you guys kind of just have maybe mixed feelings about? Well, EJ, what do you think? I'll let you take it first. I personally think that it has no place in today's college game, in, in today's football. I, I just think it, it, it kind of minimalizes the game. It minimalizes the, the way the skill, the skill and the way things are done in the trenches now. And the trenches used to be just a bunch of big fat guys on both sides, but now you got big time jumbo athletes on both sides of the ball. So I figured just stand up, play ball, and, and try to move each other out of the way like men, like this game was built on. So I just I don't think it's really a place for it. So I, I hate it. <laughs> All right, let's hear from the O lineman, Mike. <laughs> Spoken like a true defensive lineman. See, from my <laughs> standpoint, from my standpoint, there is a lot more that goes into a cut block than people really understand a lot more than I understood even up until I mean I'll be honest I didn't get good at it until senior year of college going in maybe 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 rookie year right after college let me say this I'm not talking about the standard cut block. I mean, because those, I mean, yeah, that's that's all fake. That's a chop. I'm not talking about the chop block. You're talking, about, talking about the Georgia, Georgia Tech, Tech cut thing. block. I'm talking about them. Yeah, of course, yeah. Cutting, yeah. Cutting definitely is there's a place in the game for cutting. But to just dive at someone's knees, that that's not cutting. Like, And that's, shit, the, and so. that's the difference. That's when yeah. you see guys getting hurt is when, you know, when, when the technique isn't adhered to. Now, this is something we did those film room to the field videos and I never was able to get to it while I was living up there in Chapel Hill but for those listening uh from an offensive line standpoint an effective cut block is 
you get your front foot. So whatever step it is you're taking to take a positive progression down the field, say we're going to the right, it's your right foot. You get that to the defender's midline and you get your head across to his opposite thigh. You don't cut at the knee. You don't cut at the shin. You cut right on the thigh pad. A proper cut block doesn't hurt a defensive lineman, right? It's like when you, it's like when you hit a ball cleanly in baseball, you hit it right on the fat part of the bat. You don't feel it at all. Defensive lineman doesn't feel it. Offensive lineman doesn't feel it. You just kind of both go down. But you get your ear hole to the opposite thigh pad. That is, if we're going to the right and EJ's lined up on me, okay, I'm trying to get my left ear hole, okay, onto his left thigh pad, which is his outside leg to him, okay? And I'm trying to I'm trying to cut that down. And then you hit the ground, you just roll over in case you don't get the guy. You just bear roll, right? if the guy doesn't get down initially, but that's the proper technique for cutting a guy. What Georgia Tech does a lot of and what a lot of young guys do because it's cut blocking isn't taught very well at the college level. It's certainly not taught well at the high school level if it's even allowed in your state, okay? What a lot of young guys do is they just dive straight at the knee, right? Straight at the front of the knee. It's the same type of thing that blew my knee out when I was playing, and you see a lot of guys getting hurt. That way you get hit right in the front of the knee. The knee hyperextends all the way back. You tear some stuff, and you're done. Georgia Tech does a lot of that. They also get away with, like we talked about earlier, a lot of high lows, which is one guy cutting the legs, another offensive lineman taking a defensive lineman out from up top, right? And you basically just tabletop a guy, okay? That's how defensive linemen get hurt. I'm surprised there's not more injuries when Georgia Tech plays people. You don't see a lot of defensive linemen getting hurt anymore. Initially, when Paul Johnson first came into the ACC, you did. You don't see as much of it anymore, I think, because coaches have a plan for it. Uh, I know one thing that, Butch did. I've seen a few other coaches do this is make their defensive linemen, at least their interior D linemen, wear knee braces, if nothing else, in practice. And that's minimizing the number of injuries and stuff. But it also takes a toll on your defensive line and their their conditioning. So cut blocking for me, proper cut blocking, there's a place. But frankly, the way Georgia Tech does things and the way a lot of college kids cut, it's it's improper. People are going to get hurt and there's no place for it because, you know, there's no sense in guys getting hurt in college. I mean, for 99.8% of them, no one's going pro. So, you know, they should be able to get as many snaps in as they want. You know, if they outlawed cut blocking in college, I I wouldn't be up in arms about it. I like that you gave us kind of the breakdown right there of the proper technique. EJ, one thing is I wanted to get from you, and what is a technique that they taught you guys on the defensive line of how to deal with those cut blocks, either like what Mike was describing, a proper technique, or what Georgia Tech did, which maybe kind of pushes the boundaries on that? Well, with Georgia Tech, honestly, when with the way their their guards are diving at our tackles' knees, he told them to just take their helmets and try to push their face into the ground. With a proper cut block, what you do is when you see his helmet drop, you immediately put your hands down to protect yourself. You try to get, get a hand on his shoulder pad and one on his helmet, or both on his shoulder pad. You press him down, you put your hips back, you get in a nice position, get your keep your feet clean, and that's the way to play it. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, a cut block is effective because you have to protect yourself. And even if you don't protect yourself, like Mike said, if it's done properly, then nobody will get hurt. Yeah, just you got to get your hands on their helmet and on their pads, push your hips back, get your feet back, keep your feet clean so you can just react to the block, see where the ball is, and go chase it. All right, and then to go ahead and get this thing finalized, I know I've said that like three times now. I apologize to all the listeners who might be ready for me to stop talking, not you two guys, because y'all are the ones actually providing information. 
But wanted to go ahead and just let you guys have kind of the final word on this one. Mike, go ahead, take us away, man. Yeah, so if you will end the podcast today with a word, and this is something that for those of you who are active on the message boards, you'll remember that I promised that EJ and I would address this today, and so we will. Uh, so please just humor me as we have a conversation. So listen, the internet allows for the unrestricted exchange of information. It creates an unabridged marketplace of ideas and is, in theory at least, the embodiment of everything that Madison and Jefferson ever spoke of or hoped for. However, what the internet also allows is for anonymous participation in that marketplace, okay? Creating a false sense of security for many of that market's participants. I'm talking, of course, about our message board and some of the things that are said on it. There's been, for some time now, insults, criticism, and ridicule of current players on our message boards. And as disgraceful as it is, such uh, input really isn't unexpected. See, the folly of phenomena such as Twitter and other social media is that everybody has an opportunity to voice their opinions with a freedom never before seen, okay? You don't have to be a public figure anymore to have your thoughts heard. You can be anyone. However, a consequence of this is the unfounded belief that each opinion matters and has merit. And that's just not true. The broader consequence in the sports context is the attacking of college athletes, kids, by posters on message boards, particularly ours. Now, I haven't seen this on our threads or any thread related to any content that I've produced for IC, but I am keenly aware that it exists in other threads, both now and in the past. And it's a problem, and it needs to stop, not because it's juvenile, which it is, or in many cases, unfounded, which it also is. No, it, it needs to stop because mothers will read it. Mothers of sons who were recruited by this school to come here, asked to provide their talents to this university and this program instead of another, and those mothers may not understand why someone would speak of their son that way. And I hope everyone's listening to me. Imagine you have a son on the team. How would you feel if it was your wife reading some of the crap that gets said about specific players on our boards? She may not understand the venomous, baseless, uninformed attacks spewed from the fingers of some keyboard tough guy sitting in front of his laptop who has never met her son gone to practice with him, woken up with him at 5.30 for a 6 a.m. workout, then sprinted with him to an 8 a.m. class while he's wolfing down some lesser form of breakfast, or spent time with him in the 100-degree North Carolina heat running in his conditioning test in the summertime, who's not with him when he's beating himself up over a minor mistake, obsessing over it, losing sleep over it until he gets it right. She may not understand why someone would say these things about her son who they've never met, 
spoken to, interacted with once in their lives and probably has never even been to the stadium on game day to watch him play in person and honestly wouldn't understand what they were watching even if they did. They might be my mother reading some of these things to the point of tears and stomaching it to the point of nausea and losing sleep over the ignorant opinions of people on the internet hiding behind a screen name, all while keeping that hidden from me until I got done playing. These kids aren't professionals. They are not paid for this. You are not shareholders in their company. They don't owe you a thing. They are not accountable to you. They're accountable only to themselves. And trust me, they take that very, very seriously. Your idiotic complaints, insults, and Pop Warner evaluation isn't going to be the difference in their career. I promise you that. The truth of the matter is that most of you have football experience that didn't extend beyond a high school football field. Some of you might not even have that. You wouldn't know what you're evaluating, in quotes, if we sat down and broke down film for a week straight. And that's just the truth of it. So leave the player evaluation to us. Ask us questions about techniques. Ask us questions about assignments, individual matchups, instead of making snap judgments based on rudimentary knowledge. Some of you may not think I was much of a player, and that's okay. Truth is, I was better than you, and I know more football than you do too. So remember who reads this stuff before you hit post. Don't use the screen name as a shield. These are things I would normally have to say to an elementary school that I'm talking to or high school football players I'm coaching. Not adults, not men, men who should know better. Some of the things I just said are uncomfortable. I get that. You don't like hearing it. I'll even get characterized as arrogant and hit with some ad hominem attacks based on some mistake you thought I made back when I played on the message boards. I'm sure I will, but frankly, I could give a damn. It doesn't make any of this any less true. And sometimes we need reminders that other people are watching. I don't raise this issue with you as an IC staffer. I raise it with you as a former player. We hear it. All of it. Whether you think we do or we don't, it always gets back to us one way or another. But we can handle it for the most part. Our moms shouldn't have to. So watch what you say and know that it has consequences. Conduct yourselves like men. One day it might be your wife reading this stuff about your son. And that's all I got to say about that. Strong words there, Mike. I like it. EJ, anything to add? I don't think anything needs to be added. I mean, he said a mouthful. I, I agree with him 100%. All right, guys. Hey, Georgia Tech. Absolutely. All right. Well, hey, I really appreciate everything from you guys today. Excellent information on the Georgia Tech. And we'll go ahead and sign off on this. Thanks again. And for anyone that wants to get involved with a conversation, head to the Inside Carolina Tar Pit Premium Message Boards. And we'll see what happens on Saturday. Thanks, guys. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.